I'm Lee Keough, Editor-in-Chief of NJ Spotlight, and I'd like to welcome you to our conference podcast series. Today's program is from our event, the 2016 NJ Spotlight on Cities, which was held October 14th at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark. In this session, our afternoon keynote, the four candidates known to be considering a run for governor in 2017, talk about what they think of an urban agenda for New Jersey. The four candidates include three Democrats, Phil Murphy, former ambassador to Germany, John Wisniewski, Middlesex County Assemblyman, and Tom Byrne, former Democratic state chairman. We were joined by one Republican, Jack Cittarelli, Assemblyman from Somerset County. Election prospects for 2017 and discussion of what to do in order to rebuild our cities made for a lively discussion. I moderated it. Thank you all. The, uh, the final, final of, of end of the day, uh, really culminating what I think has been a great day for all of us. Uh, hopefully you feel that too. Um, our editor-in-chief, Lee Keough, is going to lead this discussion and, and introduce the the panelists. Um, the way this will work is obviously she's going to get some discussion going among them around urban issues. What is wonderful is we had a session in here and thanks to Creative New Jersey uh, for making it possible where we had folks talking about what they think we should be asking. So those will be woven into it as well. And then uh, those in this room can also, if you, if there's a question you feel is important to ask, I have index cards, uh, just sort of signal to me or write it on your own uh, pad, signal to me, I'll come over and get it and we'll try to weave that into the discussion as well. So thank you all again and Lee, it's all yours. Great, thanks John. Um, we're very fortunate today, we've asked, uh, we asked all the not necessarily announced candidates, but the candidates who have expressed some interest, some of, some of whom, two of whom on this panel have actually announced and two haven't, but um, we asked them to come and talk about what we think is an important issue, which is whether New Jersey should have and can have and what it should be in terms of an urban policy, urban policy agenda. Um, we, uh, a few people have dropped out in the last couple of weeks, um, for, for reasons which you may or may not know. And now we have all four people who have actually said they are interested in running for um, governor. And in New Jersey, I will have to say, I mean, I assume you all know, but New Jersey has an incredibly powerful governor. I mean, basically nothing happens in this state without the, the uh, governor's acquiescence. I mean, Chris Christie, as un unpopular as he is, has not had a veto overridden in seven years. So basically, they get to appoint everybody on a board and commission. They get to, they get to appoint the chief law enforcement officer, the controller for the state, everything. So without a, a, a governor saying, yes, I want to do this, it's not going to happen. So I think we're fortunate to have the four people sitting here to talk about the future. Um, let me introduce them one at a time and have them also introduce themselves. But uh, on my right, we have John Wisniewski, Assemblyman John Wisniewski, who is from Middlesex County, and I forget which town, but... Um, Sayreville. Sayreville? Yeah. Sayreville, okay. And uh, Assemblyman Wisniewski is a Democrat. We have former ambassador to Germany, Phil Murphy, who um, has just gotten a lot of support from the county chairman, and he has he is announced, and has been announced for almost a year now? May 16th, so about coming up on a half a year. Wow, okay, I thought it was longer than that. But. <laughs> for many of you, it may feel that way. Yeah, well, can you imagine? I mean, think about this presidential <coughs> campaign. Well, just stole my line. All right. <laughs> 
Um, on my left is Jack Cinderelli, Assembly Jack Cinderelli from um, Hillsborough. And um, my, on my other left is Tom Byrne, former Democratic state chairman and son of uh, a former governor. So um, let, let me have John, maybe you can start off introducing yourself, a little bio. Just as an introduction, John Wisniewski, I'm an assemblyman. I've been in the General Assembly, this is my 21st year. I represent the 19th Legislative District, which is five towns, Cerville, South Amboy, Perth Amboy, Woodbridge, and Carteret. Those 225,000 people are a cross-section of New Jersey. Uh, we have uh, densely urban communities and traditional suburban communities. Uh, the one thing that I bring to the discussion is uh, 20 years of experience on seeing how the legislature has worked, and more importantly, how it hasn't, how the governor's office has worked, and how it hasn't. And I think that uh, in looking at an urban agenda, I have a great deal of experience, uh, having served in the legislature as chair of the Transportation Committee to bring valuable ideas to the table. I look forward to the debate and the discussion. Well done. Philip Murphy, uh, as Lee said, former United States ambassador. I had a 20-year private sector career in financial services, um, ultimately served as the finance chair for the Democratic National Committee. I have been involved in a number of organizations that have some relevance for today's discussion. I was formerly on the National Board of Local Initiative Support Corporation, which is a big urban uh, renewal and development organization with a foot in Newark. I, I'm proud to say that I serve on the National Board of the NAACP. Uh, we've got a national board meeting tomorrow, um, which will be thick and complicated in terms of agenda. Um, I live in Middletown, not too far from John in Monmouth County, my wife Tammy and our four teenage children, so please keep us in your prayers. Um, and uh, I'm an announced candidate for governor, as I mentioned, as of mid-May, and, and uh, the, the, the central premise of this conference and this discussion is right on the money, for, for my taste, uh, as the urban centers go in New Jersey, so goes New Jersey. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Can't think of a better place to be on 4 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, so thank you for being here. We have drinks right afterwards. We have drinks right afterwards. <laughs> but they're here because of us, Lee. Right, right, right. That's true. That was, I think that is true. Lifelong resident of the state. I've been in the private sector as a full-time employee or business owner for 30 years. I'm on Main Street with my business, and uh -huh. I represent the 16th Legislative District, South Brunswick and Middlesex. Princeton and Mercer, seven southern Somerset County towns, and five central western Hunterdon County towns. I think it is the most diverse, diverse uh, district in the state, quite frankly. It's got a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. And uh, it's a great microcosm of New Jersey. And though many, most of the towns I represent are suburban, traditionally suburban New Jersey towns, one thing that I always talk to when I'm with people out there is the secret to the future of New Jersey is the redevelopment and revitalization of our cities. And so I'm very, very pleased and applaud New Jersey Spotlight for having this important discussion today and allowing me to be on the panel with these uh, distinguished folks. And he's our only sole Republican on the panel. So. <laughs> and, and a declared go candidate for governor. Okay. So yes. thank, thank you. Yes. Good, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I'm Tom Byrne. Um, I grew up in uh, West Orange, not too far from here, and uh, have lived in Princeton um, basically since my college days. My family moved there when my dad got elected, so uh, I thought it'd be an hour away from home, and all of a sudden they were right across the street. Whoops. Um, so um, 
Um, I run an investment management business in Princeton, and I have devoted a fair amount of my time to trying to be involved in civic affairs in a number of ways. I've been, I thank Spotlight for doing this, um, as a trustee of the Fund for New Jersey and as an individual. I've been a supporter of Spotlight, and I think that uh, you do great work. Um, I've uh, been a trustee of a number of other organizations that are involved in urban affairs uh, planning agencies like the Regional Plan Association, um, Isles Inc. in Trenton. Um, I'm an investor in the city of Trenton. We opened a new cafe across the street from the State House recently to great reviews. It's helped brighten up um, the, uh, the street down there. And um, again, uh, I agree that uh, the, the urban agenda is incredibly important to the state. Um, I have two, pers two overall perspectives and, and a lot of detail to follow, I hope. Um, number one is I've been involved in one way or another in these sorts of conversations for probably 40 years. And um, uh, a, there's been great progress, uh, don't get me wrong. Um, uh, in a lot of our cities, great things have happened in the, in the last 40 years. At the same time, the issues that we're talking about today are some of the same issues we talked about 40 years ago. There's a poll in your thing. I did a poll when I was Democratic State Chairman in 1995. The same issues um, uh, were highlighted in, in the urban areas particularly, safety, education, and jobs. And um, there are answers, but um, they're not as simple as sometimes campaign slogans can make them out to be. Um, the last time I was in this building, I think, uh, it was the Institute for Social Justice's dinner, and the answer for Newark was gonna be jobs. Well, that's great, but we have to talk more specifically in much more detail about where those jobs come from, how we're gonna attract them uh, to New Jersey, and so that needs to be uh, a part of the discussion today. So um, I hope we'll have time to get into that in, uh, in some level of detail. An hour will go by quickly, but we'll do our best. Okay, um, I know that some of you were not here first thing this morning, but first thing this morning we had Governor Kane and Mayor Ross Baraka speak in their keynote, and what they talked about was urban agendas and urban agendas in the past. And Governor Kane said to, said to us he used to have an urban agenda every year. Um, that it was clearly, that was a very important thing and he revised it every single year. Well, I don't think we've had an urban agenda, um, at least in my last, at least since Spotlight's been around in six years. Um, and Mayor Baraka said, in his mind, we needed a Marshall Plan for, 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 the, for the state. So you all agree that we need, what I heard here is we all need one. Can we afford one? So maybe, Let's start with that. Can we afford to um, put more money in our cities? Well, we, we can't afford not to. I mean, the real problem is, is that we have the, uh, the, the backbone of a great infrastructure that needs investment. Uh, it needs investment in this city and every other urban center in New Jersey. If we don't invest in it, it's only going to get worse. Uh -huh. Uh, it's not going to get better. So the choice for us isn't about making the decision, do we or don't we? It's about how do we marshal the resources? How do we find the money uh, that is always in short supply in the state budget? Uh, we have to, if we're going to be serious about having an urban agenda and funding that agenda, making sure that we in the legislature aren't making foolish financial decisions that only hamstring us as we go down the road. We just made one on Friday in which we gave away $12 billion in future revenue uh, under some specious theory that, uh, you know, there'll be growth and, and somehow that money will magically reappear. Uh, when we do those kind of policies, we can't seriously also talk about an urban agenda because we just won't have the resources. 
I echo much of what John just said. Uh, I talk a lot about, you know, we're in right now a place you don't want to be in as, a, as an economy. We're flat as a pancake and profoundly unfair at the same time. So it's a zero-sum economy. As some do well and some are doing well, largely special interests, they do well at our expense. Uh, the only way you get out of that box is if you both grow the pie and make sure everybody gets a piece of the pie. I think you grow it uh, on the back of sort of two engines. One is reclaiming the innovation econ economy space. You know, we were Silicon Valley before there was a Silicon Valley. And taking, as John alluded to, maximum advantage of our God-given location. You mentioned there hasn't been an urban agenda, or Governor Kane said there wasn't one in the past. Well, six, he had one. Been he like had that. one. Um, I actually just spoke to him a short while ago, t talking about what he said here. Uh, you said there hasn't been one for six years. There hasn't been much of anything for six years. So let's just call that for what it is. Uh, we do need. I, I think uh, Mayor Baraka's notion of a Marshall Plan is not a, is not a crazy uh, not a crazy way to put it. It's time to get serious about our economy in, in both of those respects, growing it and making it fairer. I think if we were having this conversation, Tom, the one thing that might have changed 40 or 50 years ago, a lot of the business growth and job creation growth in this state, we were built, we were suited really well for that urban three-story sprawling um, headquarters with the bedroom communities around it. And these days, companies are making very different decisions. You know, General Electric is moving their global headquarters to Boston into a real urban setting. So I think the trend is, is, is dramatically toward urban centers, uh, including urban uh, economic and commercial centers. Um, and again, I think it's innovation and infrastructure as the two big engines, and there's a whole other set, which I'll defer on for the moment, of policies to make the economy fairer. Again, we both got to grow it and, and narrow the inequities. Yeah. I think the sad part is, uh, the sad news is that our New Jersey cities missed the Reagan boom, uh, they missed the uh, George W. Bush boom, they missed the Clinton boom, and uh, we've ignored them. And I think we need a much more dynamic agenda. There's a way to get this done. Uh, when you take a look in the state of New Jersey of how much money that we spent on corporate retention and recruitment, I understand that, it's fine, but there's a better way to deploy that money. Cities become economically vibrant when people want to live there. And when people live there, what also happens is a mini economy develops, as you see in downtown Morristown, New Brunswick, Princeton, and now in Somerville, the county seat in Somerset, where my legislative office is. When you have a, people living in cities and feeling very, very positive about cities, that starts that whole small business engine that really drives the New Jersey economy. The laundromat opens, the beauty parlor opens, the pizzeria, the small architectural firm, the small accounting firm, the small uh, law firm, the laundromat, and so on and so forth. That will drive a local economy. And so what we need to do, I think, whenever there is more problems than there is money, and that's the case right now in New Jersey, we need to be resourceful. And um, I know we have a terrible habit, those of us in public office, and that excludes Tom. Uh, but um, <laughs> and I meant that as a compliment, Tom. But, uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Um, but you know, you need specifics. There are ideas out there. Our state needs to work in better partnership with our county governments, which have dynamic planning divisions. Many municipalities can't afford a dynamic planning division. Um, counties have them. Counties are great at regional planning. And we need to look across the country for ideas that have worked. I want to give you an example in Detroit. It makes no sense. It's bad news for Detroit corporations if Detroit 
goes down the tubes. So what did Detroit employers do? When they offered people jobs, they said this, the job offers this, here's the salary. But if you take the job and live in Detroit, you get paid more. That's a local government working in partnership with a corporation. And after all, if people live close to the work, I know as an employer, that's a better quality employee. Absenteeism is less, less commute is good for the quality of life. So that's a local government working in partnership with corporations to create that vibrant economy where people want to live downtown. Well, I agree with a lot of that. Um, first of all, God bless the millennials. Um, they they want to live in these areas. Um, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Hoboken was Hobroken, and now uh, Hoboken is is extraordinary. It's a great place. You walk down Washington Street in in um, June, and it's like being at spring break. Um, it's happening. Um, so sometimes you, that's you, you, you like to see. Well, right. You like to see that vibrancy, and and you love to see the energy of young people attracted to our cities and we've got to expand that and there are ways to do it there's a lot more we could do with higher ed and and um, I'd like to get into that later I hope um, but what I want to say now is it's so easy for politicians to promise everything yeah I'm for what you want I'm for what you want uh, and um, you know Mario Cuomo famously said that you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose so God bless poetry but pin us down on the prose okay and what do I mean by that? I mean that um, governing really comes down to resource allocation. And um, you, you've got limited resources. You can expand them in certain ways. But um, um, let, let's talk about the resources that we have. I'll give you two quick examples. Number one, um, um, we talk about safety and how important that is. Um, you do need more of a police presence, I think, um, in the urban areas. So today, I live in Princeton. I frankly think we have too many cops in Princeton. We have speed traps every mile. Um, we don't need them. And, and we have, you know, I've watched cops follow college kids um, down the street to see if they pull a beer can out of there. You know, is that really the highest and best use of resources? We ought to have more cops um, on the streets in our cities. Also, who gets paid more, the cops in Princeton or the cops in Trenton? The cops in Princeton do. Where would you rather work? Um, and so again, uh, I, I think the state can have an influence in making sure that we allocate existing resources properly. Example number two, and this is where it gets tough, and this is where I've taken a ton of heat already. Um, uh, in addition to being chairman of the State Investment Council, um, and no, we didn't lose $6 billion, $6 billion uh, last year, and we'll get into that maybe later, Phil, per your email yesterday. We did not. Um, we pay out $10.9 billion a year in benefits. And um, so um, what I did is, um, is I signed on to a, a tough commission report where it said we should be um, recycling benefits into the pension fund and not spending um, all of the growth in government revenues on filling the pension. There are other solutions to that that are difficult, but fair to taxpayers and fair to beneficiaries. In the last few years, almost all of the growth in state spending has gone to fill the unfunded liability in the pension system. And yes, we have to do that. But if we do that with all of the revenue growth, then this urban agenda is not going to happen, pure and simple. Okay. That's point one. Point two, there are other things that we can do um, um, on the revenue side. Um, there are ways that um, we can talk about um, expanding 
um, the tax base. Do, we can talk about expanding the sales tax to services. We can do things like that. Um, I think the next governor is going to have to reverse what's been done on the sales tax. I think it's just patently ridiculous and frankly a ploy to make the next governor look bad uh, early on. It's just irresponsible and we all know it. Um, and you know, an innovative idea that, that I'm not ready to go out on um, is something I firmly endorse, but I've, I'm talking to some of the state's lawyers about this who know this area well. So a lot of our wealthiest um, earners commute into New York, um, into Manhattan, and um, they pay all of their income tax to Albany. So they consume um, public safety, they consume infrastructure um, when they go to New York. Um, maybe they consume a little clean air that New York helped clean up. They consume zero public education, zero um, in, in that state. And yet, New Jersey people are paying for New York State's public schools. Um, the Supreme Court of the United States has original jurisdiction over situations like this. And we're paying $2 billion to Albany right now. Shouldn't some of that money belong in New Jersey, and why not test that in court? The third thing I'll say is, um, what can we do um, with, um, uh, by making better use of the resources we have? Here's, here's one example of, of a lot. One of the things, look at Asbury Park, where unfortunately two restaurants just closed, but Asbury Park has had some really good development um, with a lot of restaurants. That's a good thing and a good place to start planting seeds in our cities. A lot of these restaurateurs can't get a liquor license. And, um, and you know, if you change that in one day, maybe it's unfair to people who bought a liquor license yesterday. But if you change it over a period of years, um, you, you can be fair to those people and do a whole lot more to spur urban development. So my point is we have to be creative in figuring out how to use um, resources that are out there. So all those things, um, whether it's, it's resource allocation um, of existing resources and tough decisions that have to be made there, and as I say, pin us down, figuring out how to use new resources and figuring out how to make better use of the resources we have. If we don't do that, we're going to have these same conversations for years to come. Okay, thank, uh, thank you. Sorry. Thank you, no, it's passionate. That was very, very poetic. It's great. It was really passionate. It's fabulous. <laughs> fabulous. Um, I'm going to ask each of you to briefly, and I mean briefly because we have a... I, I said sorry. That, no, 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 because John is standing there with a bunch of cards. But to briefly just mention <clears throat> your two top priorities. Now, we just recently did a poll of our... Um, Eagleton actually did it for us, um, a, a, an Eagleton poll of people if, asking them what their thoughts on the cities are. And um, what came back was what everybody said here, it hasn't changed for 40 years, but one of the interesting things were that urban people said their number one priority was jobs, but suburban said the number one priority for the cities was crime. So I thought that was a very interesting response in that the people who live there didn't think it was crime, they thought it was jobs. Um, but in any case, if you had to pick two things to invest our money in, what would they be? There are so many things. I know. It's, it's I unfair to, to pick two. So just make John go first a, every time. A, a disclaimer right, well, I should, I should. to say there's, there's more than two that we should invest in. But uh, the two that come to mind, education, <laughs> transportation. And let me explain that. Uh, if you want to make a city sustainable and vibrant, uh, you need to create an educational opportunity in that city where parents who, when they're thinking about where to move, think about where are their kids going to go to school. 
If you want to bring in uh, young families, if you want to bring in people who are not currently residing there, you need to make sure that they understand that they have educational opportunities. Without that, you're not going to attract the people that you need to bring in to keep a sustainable growth pattern in that community. Now, let me just stop you there for one, one point, which is that is the one area where we seem to have been spending more money on, in the urban areas and the suburban areas at least from the state perspective. Not Absolutely. From the actual we have been, for good reason. Uh, and, and many people would say it hasn't worked. So what do you say to that? It hasn't I worked. I mean, as, we, we have a governor that's going around the state now saying... Um, and of he, course, if he said it, it must be true, right? So, <laughs> um, it, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. I should have said what I really thought. But what part is us? No, but the reality is, is it hasn't worked as well as we had hoped or as we had planned, but that's because we have only addressed part of the problem. I mean, we, we understand that in, in an urban environment, we have to invest more money in our schools because there are so many unique issues that have to be addressed. But there are still other issues that we're not addressing that if we don't, uh, we will never fully get beyond the curve. We have children going home to one or zero parent households who are walking home through crime infested neighborhoods where they are being lured with opportunities that suburban kids never even come across. And if we're going to make the educational uh, opportunity in any given city prosper, we have to address all of the, the non-traditional issues that are not classroom issues. They are, they, you know, children are not going to learn on their own. They have to go home and do homework and read. If there's nobody there uh, guiding that because mom and dad both have to work, uh, then you're not going to have the same kind of outcome. And so there are a lot of social issues that we have not addressed that we need to to make that education formula work better. But the other part of it is, is transportation. Uh, you've got this natural nexus. I mean, you take a, a city like Newark, you take a city like Plainfield, you, all of these cities, they have roads, they have trains. Do we invest in our roads and our trains? No. Uh, not even close. And when you look at what you've read in the New York Times in the last couple of days about New Jersey Transit and the number of safety violations and the failures in that organization, there's no wonder why people are not looking. The millennials who would love to have a place to live where they don't have to have a car and they can get on a train and go to work, uh, if they look at our urban centers, they're saying, well, I'm not sure I can get the train to work. I'm not sure it's going to be there when I need it. And so those are the two key investments we need to make. We invested in the trust fund. Uh, we put 23 cents a gallon. It's going to run out in eight years, and it takes us 28 years to raise the gas tax. So we got 20 years of no funding coming up. But the reality is, is that that funding is still not geared towards mass transit. It's geared towards more traditional uh, automotive transportation, and that's a mistake as well. I, I echo a lot of what John said. The um this governor has underfunded the uh, educational budget to the tune of about $8 billion based on the one formula that was uh, the only formula that's ever been blessed by the state Supreme Court. Uh, you gotta start there. Uh, but I, if, if you roll back to your original question, Lee, I think this, this begins and ends with the economy. If we don't get the economy right, we don't get New Jersey right. We, we won't be able to afford all of the other needs and aspirations. And how do you solve that? I mean, we certainly this administration has been giving a lot of tax incentives to bring yeah, people so, to. It's a one trick pony. I mean, who wants to raise your hand if you want to pay more taxes than you have to? 
I got it. No one ever raises their hand. People want a fair deal, but I've seen models that other states are purveying, and they're much more diverse in the incentives and in the, in the packages that they put before a, a company. And no, none of these states have remotely the natural assets that we have. You know, no, we're next to New York City, the largest market in the world. Uh, we have the most educated workforce in the country. We have among the best public school systems in the country. We're the densest state in the country, which gives us environmental challenges, but gives us a leg up on the sort of economy John's referring to. We are the most diverse state in America. And, 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 and we play one note. This governor has played one note, which is tax incentives. And by the way, the incentives are about equal to the underfunding of the public education really? budget. It's about the same. It's about $8 billion to $7 billion. And it goes up, they, 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 they go up by the day. But we've got to get the economy right. I'll give you two ideas that get out to, to Tom's very good point. It, it's, it's, it's great to talk in general terms. I'll give you two areas where we've done, I think, a particularly lousy job that we can, we can be much better at. Number one, we've let billions of dollars of federal dollars fly by this state. From the big projects that are multi measured in multi-billions, like the historically uh, bad decision to cancel the ARC tunnel project, uh, to a race to the top money, to Sandy relief money, and everything in between. So. One thing we need to get a lot better at, in my judgment, my humble opinion, is working tightly, seamlessly with the federal delegation and regularly, intensely hunting down all the, all the money we can find in Washington. I don't blame the federal delegation for what's gone on in the past seven years. I blame the other side of that equation. The second uh, thing that I specifically that we can do that I think is bold um, would be um, we've, we're faced with two realities right now, crumbling infrastructure and historically low interest rates. Uh, this is the time, uh, to use a football term, to throw the 40-yard pass. 100-year bonds at low percent, bet it all on red, everything into the infrastructure economy in the state, including, as John said, mass transit. This is not just, it has to be roads and bridges and tunnels, but mass transit as well. You betcha. We're strong, we still, we've been downgraded eight or nine times, but miraculously we're still a single A credit. Uh, and if the use of proceeds is a good one, which is into our core wheelhouse as a state, uh, that's something I'm, I'm confident we can do. I know a governor who established the income tax in New Jersey for purposes of funding public education so every child can get a thorough and efficient education, a clause in our constitution which I fully support. Um, every single penny of income tax that comes into Trenton that is withheld from your paychecks and paid on April 15th goes back to our 588 school districts and our colleges in the form of public education. Um, there is disparity in the way it is distributed because one-third of those districts are overfunded. So let's, let's get our facts straight. Uh, the one thing I do want to mention because I represent the suburbs, I mean, listen, we're all human. And because we're human, we're biased. Um, and so that perception of the cities, when they're asked to be defined by one word by people in the suburbs is crime. Um, anyone who's here today and on this panel knows this. The people that live in our cities are as decent, honest, and hardworking as anybody around the state and nation. Uh, more densely populated areas have more crime. I don't care what part of the city it is. That's a statistic driven by the number of people that live there. Um, it has nothing to do with the vast, vast majority of people live here. Your question is, what would we do to invest differently to spur development? Mm -hmm. I believe this. 
Um, there's two ways that we can better invest. One is use eminent domain and revitalization, redevelopment zones that are pre-approved to incentivize investment in our cities. There are blighted areas that county government and the state can work in partnership with. A blighted community usually exists in a municipality that doesn't have the float to take advantage of eminent domain and, and turning the property back over to the private sector. I think counties which do have a fantastic float, I know I've served as a freeholder uh, because of the way the tax structure works, and the state can work in partnership to use eminent domain to seize blighted areas and use redevelopment zones that are totally pre-approved for developers to come in that cuts all the real red tape and we experience redevelopment and revitalization while being sensitive to something I know we're all against, gentrification. Our cities need to remain affordable for any and all people who want to live there. And the second thing that we need to invest in is a better ecosystem. One of the reasons why you heard that GE left Connecticut and went up to Boston it's not just about tax rates, although tax rates have a lot to do with it. Boston has a phenomenal ecosystem. Its colleges and universities work in partnership with the corporations there to provide a feeder program for all the new talent. We can do that here in New Jersey. We have the institutional resources. They're here. We just need a plan. Good. So the, um, the question was, uh, what two priorities? Yeah. Okay. So um, since I already talked a little bit about safety and, and policing and so forth, I'm not going to um, use that one, even though there's more to say on community policing mm -hmm. and use of technology on targeting a, a lot of more things that we can do on safety. But I want to talk about uh, two other things. One is education, and that includes higher education. And you see these um, job nucleuses, particularly in Cambridge and, and Palo Alto. And we, we need to do um, more of that here. So we need to um, not only invest in education, but invest in higher education. And to simplify a little bit, you know, politicians say, okay, college kids don't vote, so if we gotta cut something, we'll cut them. And we've taken that way too far. And um, okay, whether they vote or not, um, it's in our interest to make sure that we have um, um, a stronger uh, uh, higher education system uh, in this state that attracts more and more people. I was talking to the CEO of one of our major, retired CEO of one of our major uh, pharmaceutical uh, companies who said that um, it's not only the, the interplay between um, private industry and, uh, and higher ed on a research basis, it's that scientists want to live in those sorts of communities. And so we have the nucleus, but we can do a lot more, and we have those models out there. Um, I was talking to the CEO of another one of our largest companies, and he said to me, do you know how many research scientists we have uh, in the state? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, zero. He said, I can't get them to come to New Jersey. Uh, and so this is one of our biggest companies, and they have admin in the state. We've lost, we've lost in the last two decades, 50% of the market share in, in employment in the pharmaceutical industry. And we've got to turn that kind of stuff around. And so investment in, in higher ed, investment in education, all the STEM stuff we all know, and I think we probably all agree on. Um, but then um, I, we all, I guess, did a screening with the uh, NJEA last weekend, and I said some things where I knew that I wasn't going to get their endorsement. Um, they, they said, uh, you know, do you favor a moratorium on charter schools? And I 
said charter schools have helped in a lot of our urban areas. There was an, an editorial in the New York Times either yesterday or today, I can't remember, uh, saying the same yes, thing, sir. and that yesterday that it was short-sighted to to uh, do stuff like that. And so again, you know, to win a Democratic primary, you, you agree with them on everything. Um, to run a state properly and run an education system properly, maybe not so much. Um, and so one of the other things that I said is, yes, we have to fully fund the schools, but we have to ask for some measure of accountability in return. And that means, I, in my view, it means empowering principals, training them. And uh, again, that's something my wife and I have privately supported, um, this uh, organization called New Leaders that trains uh, principals in urban schools. And um, you know, at some point, you know, I think most teachers are great, but as in any profession, some aren't. And um, you know, the tenure system, I, I think, needs to be changed. And even the NJEA, when we were talking, acknowledges that the recent changes, um, you know, extending the review process to four years really didn't make any difference. And so there are a lot of things that have to change um, um, and, and to make is, our education effective. And, and so you were talking about a higher education, regular education, and those are two, uh, K through 12 education, those are two issues that you would consider part of the urban agenda. Yeah, uh, well, I want that to count as one, but I know I've taken too long. So the other thing <laughs> that I want to talk about is, is job creation. And um, okay. and I, I will stop and maybe come back to it. Yeah. But just to say that there are things we can do in our tax code um, that would help create jobs. We, we talk about jobs, and we sprinkle a little fairy dust, and jobs are going to appear? I don't think so. So that's a whole separate conversation. Okay. I think John has I do have a couple. For the First of all, uh, for anyone who says NJ Spotlight doesn't deliver you deliver you the news first. Uh, Governor Christie just signed the Transportation Trust Fund, and so construction will begin. So thank you, we're breaking news. But we're not gonna go there. Um, I am, and I don't uh, think these people are very happy about that. Yeah, but you, we'll come back. <laughs> A couple of questions, uh, and I'm gonna ask them for yes or no answers, and I know that maybe, um, we'll see. Um, uh, <laughs> Tomorrow, the NAACP will vote on a proposed moratorium on the charter school growth. And we'll start with Mr. Murphy, who's on their board. A uh, lot of speculation of, of what you're going to do. But I also, and again, yes or no, maybe with a sentence. Uh, and then I'd also like to put the, the notion of charter schools before the other um, gentlemen up there in, in terms of it is, you know, obviously a very hot button subject in our urban school districts. This question, I can't give you a yes or no on because this has been very distorted uh, uh, and it's very complicated. Uh, the moratorium itself is internally inconsistent. And so it's not subject to an easy yes or no. So or could, let me phrase it. Would you support a moratorium, even a temporary one, on, on charter schools uh, in I'll, New Jersey? I'll give you, I'll give you my, my best way I can put it. I believe what this moratorium ultimately is asking that we stop immediately public funding of charter schools. And I am opposed to that. that. That cannot be the case. It would wreck uh, schools across the state and across this country. I guess I'll be a little, because there's a, there's a bill in the legislature that would, not about f public funding, but about the state's approval of new charter schools or the expansion of charter yeah. schools in I'm, the state. I'm a big critic of the governance and the way the charters have been established under, under Governor Christie. I'm a big critic of that. So I'm not sure I know what that bill is, but uh, the way it's been done is not the way I would support or I would do it. Someone Wisniewski? Former Speaker Joe Doria was uh, the biggest proponent that I know of charter schools, and he viewed them as laboratories of innovation. Over the years, they have ceased to be laboratories of innovation as much as boutique schools 
Uh, we can't afford, if we're not fully funding the School Funding Reform Act, we can't afford to continue to take more dollars out for schools that don't address the real reason charters were created, to give parents an alternative when the school system's failing. So in terms of creating new charters, not talking about cutting off funding, but creating new charters, until we can get a handle on how the regulations have really gotten out of control, we shouldn't create any new ones until we're sure that they're only being created to provide educational opportunities to parents and children who don't have anywhere else to go. So that sounds like a yes. That's a yes. Okay. Yeah, wherever there are people, there are governance issues from time to time. And so I don't think the governance issues are specific to charter schools. Uh, you see governance issues from time to time in public school systems, too, and that includes urban and suburban school districts. Um, I have never been a fervent advocate for charter schools in school systems that are phenomenal already. It makes no sense to me. You don't make a school system better by taking money out of the school system. Having said that, if there is a school district that by all reasonable measures is failing, and there are a number of very reasonable measures that can determine whether a school district is failing, that family and that student deserve a choice. I can't think of a reason why anyone would disagree with that. So I would have a problem with a moratorium on public schools, but I will tell you, I fought like hell in my own hometown when there was talk of a Mandarin public school in a public school system where my wife and I have sent our four children that is phenomenal. It makes no sense in a phenomenal school district to take money out of it to create a Mandarin school. If that's what people want, go to private school. All right. Right. Look, I, I don't see um, um, charters as a panacea, but I do think that they've worked well for a lot of kids in urban areas. And I'm basically um, in favor of what's best for kids, um, not what's best for other um, um, in, entrenched interests. And um, you can study an issue without a moratorium. And so there should always be a, a very careful process for granting new charters. Um, and I don't think, um, I think a moratorium is, is frankly a tactic to um, delay and slow something that they see as a threat, and I don't think that's right. We had another question. This is more about uh, temperament, and that's been a big issue. Um, <laughs> big issue. Um, None of us are not in this race, not yet. <laughs> Give us time. We're a year out. Um, but the question is, do you have the temperament to lead collaboratively without being beholden to a political boss? <laughs> yes. And that's a yes or no, too, I guess. You, you said one word answer. Yes. I'm just, I mean, look, I'm just, just reading the cards. Look, my answer is yes. Look at my record in the legislature. Uh, I stood up to Democratic governors and Republican governors on issues that I didn't think were right for the people of the state of New Jersey. I'm not afraid to stand up and speak my voice. I think, Phil, that uh, there, there are a couple of people have said to me today that one of the things you've gotten so much support from the county chairman that they worry that, that they've, they've said negative to that. Listen, I'm, I'm humbled by the support, but our campaign, and I suspect many of you have seen it because I'm probably bombarding your email accounts, uh, we're taking it to the streets. Uh, we are absolutely taking it to the streets, and that has not changed one iota. So I'm humbled and appreciative of the organizational support. I'm certainly honored to stand with teachers, police, and fire. That's a huge badge of honor. Uh, but we started on May 16th, and... We're, I'm getting in the car and driving down to Cherry Hill after this event, and we're taking it right to the streets. That's who I am, and that's who we'll continue to be, period. Yeah, given the perception of New Jersey, I understand and respect the question, but uh, it, it, it does bother me. 
Because the answer is no. And anybody who's followed my career knows that nobody owns Jack Cittarelli. And take a look at my voting record and my body of work. In the two terms I served at the municipal level, two terms I served at the county level, and in the five years I've been in the state. And uh, Tom, okay. I mean, you yeah. know, well, you, uh, you, you were the boss at New Oh, yeah. I, I a was big uh, state Democratic chair is yeah, such a powerful yeah. position. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, I, I, I did rule with an iron fist in my day. <laughs> uh, Listen, you were never my boss. <laughs> That's right. Look, what I think I tried to do as chairman is have a collaborative process. And one of the things that I did um, was I would call the Democratic urban mayors together periodically uh, 20 years ago to talk about creating an urban agenda in the Democratic Party. Um, so I believe in collaborative processes. I think I've been um, outspoken enough on a number of issues that nobody would suspect that um, I'm controlled by any boss. Um, what I also think is that it's going to be, this is going to be a rough ride in the next four years, one way or another. And it's going to be important to have a governor who can work across the aisle and, um, and try to get some bipartisan cooperation on a number of issues. And again, that may not be what primary voters want to hear, but I think that's something that is going to be very, very important to the state. And I think that I could do that very effectively. And, you know, I look back to um, uh, when John Corzine was governor, and, you know, there was a shutdown in the state government. And that was uh, not with any help from the Republicans. That was the Democrats debating among themselves. And so we have to have somebody who can work with Democrats um, across the state if we're going to elect a Democrat. And so somebody that is collaborative and not boss is, I think, what we need. John, if I could just be a ball hog for a very quick second. I think people should be less concerned about party bosses than they should about special interests. Fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah, the, fair point. Uh, another question came, and I think it came out because I heard him talk about it during the interactive session before this, was equity issues. Um, you know, we are a, a state that is, um, you know, has tremendous inequities even within our, our, you know, relatively small counties. What as governor uh, will you do to start addressing some of the real inequities that this, this state and, and communities face? Where do we begin? I mean, the pay equity. Uh, we need to make sure that we have a state policy and we're continuing to pursue that policy to make sure men and women are earning uh, equal pay. We need to make sure that our families have the ability to earn a living wage because so many people in this state can't earn enough money to live in this state. Uh, we have too many students who can't afford to go to college. And if they can't go to, uh, afford to go to college, they can't afford to pay the debt they have when they get out of college. Uh, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we have dismantled uh, the progressive agenda that had been established in this state uh, over two generations. Uh, slowly over the past seven years, we have dismantled it piece by piece. The next governor is going to have their hands full, uh, not only finding a way to reestablish that, but to fund it and to deal with the other problems that we have that are baked into our budget already. Uh, uh, again, echo a lot of what John said. Uh, I said earlier that this economy isn't exactly the place you don't want it to be in, which is flat as a pancake and profoundly unfair. So I'm, I, uh, let's put aside how you grow it for a minute, which we've talked a, a little bit about. I like the idea, by the way, of a public bank, which all of us would own and bring a lot of our deposits that are elsewhere back into the state. And, and put that bank to work on making student loans and small business loans and small infrastructure loans. 
but that, that's another vehicle I think that can help us grow, particularly working with some, some organizations like City National here in Newark, the only black-owned community bank in the state. Big potential. Um, fairness to gender, minimum wage, earned sick leave, child-dependent care tax credit, caregiver tax credit, equal pay for equal work, as Jen said, um, making college more affordable, which is a big, has become a big inequity factor, uh, much bigger today than it was 20 years ago. Uh, there's a whole series of things. I think it's going to take longer to grow the economy than it will to begin to make it fairer. So I think you can get a lot of stuff done if you, if you get the right governor in week one uh, on the fairness piece. Um, but it's going to take longer to see the seeds of the growth piece of this. We're just going to have to lock arms, and that's a fact. Isn't, isn't the fairness piece something that's a little more intractable? And I, let, me, let me throw something else in, into this, the little bomb. Question. And I'll, I'll, you can answer both. Both of you can answer, too. But what about segregation? I mean, I, you know, it's really interesting to me that a lot of people in this state have begun to start to say, you know, we're, and in fact, in our, our meeting, our, our urban agenda, build an urban agenda earlier today, there was some discussion of, about race and diversity and segregation. What are we going to do? We are a very segregated state. You betcha. Can, can, what are we going to do about that? It is all in the way that we frame the discussion, and that comes down to leadership. Too many times in New Jersey, we frame the discussion as urban versus suburban, rich versus poor, black versus white. That's not the way to frame the discussion. So leadership has an obligation and a responsibility to wage the discussion, change the tenor of the debate in a way that everyone listens. You know, my compass is Abraham Lincoln. Two people can honestly disagree and neither one be wrong. We can solve this here in New Jersey, but we've got to change the way we go about the debate. And it's one of the great issues I've had with Chris Christie. It's the way he wages the debate. I'm here to inspire, not incite, and if you disagree with me, I don't feel the need to bludgeon you and leave you dead and bloody on the battlefield. <laughs> um, so, but John, I, I got to tell you something. That apply to the general is election? A, yeah. Is that a description of what's happened? <laughs> Listen, the, the inequity. Let me, let me say, I, I just want to tease something up for you in a second. So just indulge me for one second. I don't, again, I don't want to be a ball hog. I represent Manville, New Jersey. This is a town ravaged by the exit of industry. It is a town ravaged repeatedly by flooding. This is as middle class as middle class is. When an $800,000 house in Jersey City pays less in property taxes than a $300,000 house in Manville, we have an inequity that tears at the fiber of our state. When people that own a million dollar townhome in Hoboken can send their kids, three and four year olds, to free pre-K paid for by the income taxes of the people in Manville, and Manville doesn't get a dime for free pre-K. We have a problem, and I'm asking you to join me in solving that problem. And as long as that problem exists, we will have a segregation issue in New Jersey. Because what that problem says to the people in Manville is we're not all in this together. Yeah, I mean, um, Jack wrote um, a very good op-ed um, a couple weeks ago on this subject, talking about basically millionaires on the Gold Coast um, getting huge tax breaks. And, and you're absolutely right, it was a very good piece. Um, so um, I basically agree with everything I heard over there. I won't repeat it. I'll try to take it to the next step and talk about environmental justice in our urban areas in particular, number one. And if you want a specific example, um, lead removal. Uh, you want to talk about equity, um, you shouldn't have lead in your brain when you're going to school. And um, uh, 
that costs money. Um, and again, I go back to uh, prioritization. We have to make stuff like that a priority. And um, when you're every, all things to all people, um, I worry that that doesn't happen. I worry about social service agencies um, who are not getting paid by the government already. They're in Illinois, um, where they have a constitutional amendment on the pension. There's social service agencies that haven't gotten paid for over a year because the constitution in that state says that all the money has to go to pay the pensions before you do anything else. Um, most of the Democrats, Phil, you've, I believe, been on record saying the constitutional amendment is a good idea. Um, I don't think it's a good idea. I think we have a responsibility. I think that um, the pension commission on which I served came up with a credible plan. But if we go to what I view as an extreme, we're not going to be able to fund these sorts of things. And that's what I mean by it's fine to make all these promises, but um, I hope that this election turns into an intelligent discussion of actually what priorities are you realistically going to fund. I remember when I was party chairman, Christy Whitman said, I'm going to cut the income tax by 30%. How are you going to pay for that? Economic growth. Um, she might as well have said fairy dust. We're all in favor of economic growth, but we've also got to be um, realists about um, um, what we're going to uh, really afford. So if, if state revenue grows by a billion dollars a year, which is 3%, how are you going to spend that money? That's the sort of questions that we should be asked. Do you want to respond at all? No, I just say, listen, uh, uh, who can blame the public sector unions for not asking for the state to be required to make payments? And speaking to Governor Whitman, that it's been coming off the rails since her administration. That's right. Whether we like it or not. So That's when right. You've been, when you've been lied to uh, uh, for going on 20 years, it's hard to not ask for it. I, we, we've been lied to I, by all governors and all legislatures. Well, that's let me, let me, let me just just both sides of the aisle, yeah. Jack. I, I just agree. want to say, a, we have a fundamental problem with our, with our Constitution and our state government because it's not just about pensions. You take that Supreme Court decision on pension payments, every long-term promise that the legislature and governor makes, basically what the court said is, good luck. Right. We, can, we can do a transportation funding program this year, and we can have great ideas on how we're going to spend that over the next eight years. And when the next legislature takes office, they can say, never mind, and change it. The new transportation funding program allows for the entire amount to be borrowed, $12 billion, to be borrowed in one year. There's no limit on it. And so there has to be a rule that we don't have now that says if we promise the people to the state of New Jersey, whether it's a defined benefit in retirement or a transportation program, that that promise has to be kept. And right now, that's not the law of the state of New Jersey. If I may add one thing there, yeah. Lee, um, the, the pension commission on which I served said the point of departure is we must keep every promise that we've made to public workers. Um, but there are ways to do it. So one of the things we said is that uh, public workers in New Jersey have the most generous health care plans of any state in the country. And we said, if we put people on um, Obamacare gold or its equivalent, which is what the Obama administration says is fair and anything much above that should be subject to a Cadillac tax. If we do that, we would squeeze out a, a billion four a year in savings. We said recycle that to help fill the unfunded liability in the pension system. Um, 
this is tough stuff. It's, it, it wasn't pleasant to recommend that. But if we don't make those sorts of hard decisions, then we're not going to have the money to fund all these other <coughs> wonderful things that we're talking about. And so we thought that was fair to taxpayers, but we thought it was also fair to beneficiaries because going forward, we're, all we're saying to them is accept the same benefits that are, are common, if you're lucky, elsewhere um, in the country. I'm told we only have a couple more minutes, so um, I could ask you about how we're going to fix our aging infrastructure. I could ask you about how you can use the governor's office to, to do things like solve cr crime issues or, or create community policing. I could ask you a lot of questions that are on my card, but I think I'd prefer <laughs> to let you, you know, give a synopsis of what you would do structurally, content-wise, in like, like a, just briefly, structurally, content-wise, for an urban agenda, and re keep it to the urban agenda issue. How will I solve the problems of the state of New Jersey in 10 seconds? <laughs> yes, okay. that's exactly what I want. No, Back just how you'll explain it. You right. don't have to do it. Well, look, there's a couple of things that are really clear about the state of New Jersey. We have a money problem. Uh, we have a hard time uh, managing the money we have, and that goes back to the power of the office of the governor. Because at the end of the day, there's one guy who gets to say how much money the state gets to spend each year, and that's the governor. Legislature has no say in it. And then once that number's set, we're off to the races. And depending on where you're at in an administration, it's either ridiculously high or ridiculously conservative, but at the end of an administration, we wound up not having any reality. We have to change that. We have to get that under control if we're going to solve any of these problems, because we can't continue to promise to solve things and not have the financial resources to do it. And that is, if you take all of these issues, school funding, an urban agenda, transportation, it's a lack of ability to manage our finances in this state. And that's a problem that we've had repetitively. And we keep going back to the same answers time and time again, and we expect different results. That, my friends, is the definition of insanity. We have to change that model. A two-part answer, and I'll, I will be brief, as John was. Um, number one, it's the economy in, in, as it sp relates specifically to an urban agenda. So it's an all-in strategy with lots of different pieces on the innovation economy, the infrastructure economy. In both cases, Newark, Patterson, Trenton, Camden, you pick your urban center, will benefit enormously. Uh, and are you talking about the general uh, economy of the state of New Jersey or the no, I'm specific saying, city? Uh, I'm, saying, I'm saying that the general economy, in my judgment, the big fixes, the big engines are innovation and infrastructure, but no places will benefit more from those initiatives than the big cities. Mm -hmm. And Newark would be at the top of that list. Uh, infrastructure, again, back to some of John's points, overwhelmingly Newark is the big winner if you can, if you can figure this out. And again, the federal government has to be right alongside of us. Uh, because they're going to have to fund a big chunk of this. Um, more generically, um, a little bit on Tom's point, this is not a state that people can trust any longer. We need a governor where we, we, we get back to a reputation as being a place you can trust. And right now, we're not trustworthy. We may have different ideas as to how you get back to that place, but we must be the folks who say, you know what, if that governor, if that state says it's so, it is so. We are not there now. I'm also, I'd like to say I'm a huge optimist. While we're in crisis, while the next couple of years are not going to be pretty, anyone who tells you that is, uh, is not telling you the truth, we have enormous potential. You know, we've squandered a lot, but that's been man-made. That means we can get it back by man's actions as well. 
And lastly, uh, I would say, Lee, that and the way I've said it is this, and by the way, I think all, everyone up here is a good person in the category of the right people going into government or in government for the right reasons, trying to do the right things. People want a high character governor. They don't want any backstory. They, they don't want any drama associated with it. Um, the way I put it is, I want you to judge me on making decisions that at every step are, are best for the next generation, not what's best for my next election. To have that sort of political courage. I would admire all these guys up here. I th think they very much pass that test, but it is, it is a pass-fail test for our state that the next governor be that person who we can trust. Thank you. We, we need a very bold, comprehensive uh, urban agenda that is worthy of bipartisan support. And uh, I don't think I'm oversimplifying it if I ask you to go back 20 years in New Brunswick and see New Brunswick today. I don't think I'm um, being overly simplistic if I ask you to go back in Somerville 10 years ago and come to Somerville today. I own a building on the main street of Somerville. It is uh, also where I have my legislative office. And it is leveraging the private sector and entrepreneurialism and a very enterprising populace because the American dream is still to own your own business. And there is a very small economy that is thriving in downtown Somerville as it does in Morristown, Princeton, and, uh, and New Brunswick. It can happen with the right type of planning and incentives from the state, the right type of leveraging of county resources. And again, we need a plan um, and you deserve specifics. And for me, the specifics are we need to leverage uh, eminent domain and um, redevelopment zones that make it turnkey for developers. In those situations, it is the local planners, the local people who articulate a vision in their planning document in partnership with the county. And what they say is, here's what we'd like to see happen on these two or three blocks. And any developer that comes in does not have to worry about the local planning board and zoning board because it's all pre-approved. It's a partnership. It's a public-private partnership. It can happen. And um, what man has created, man can solve. We can do it, but we need an urban agenda. Absolutely, we need an urban agenda. And I, I don't want to repeat the stuff I've said about safety, the stuff I've said about um, education. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about jobs because everybody says, um, um, let's just have some more jobs in the city and, and that'll solve everything. Well, um, I've spent um, a lot of time talking to uh, tax experts. I mentioned the thing about New York State. Um, but our tax code is weird in that it penalizes um, investment in new ventures in a way that the federal tax code does not. And so there are technical things that um, I think we ought to fix to encourage um, more venture investment uh, in the state. And that will in turn um, help us create new jobs and, and get people to want to invest, uh, to make it a more uh, economically rational decision to do that. And so um, those are you know in the weeds details that I, I think we have to do. And similarly on the the regulatory front. So I told you that we opened, that we own this building, we opened this cafeteria in Trenton. I, the permitting should have been totally routine. And um, 
God bless Mayor Jackson in Trenton, I think he's a terrific guy. Um, but going through the regulatory process in places you would have thought we were building a nuclear power plant across from the State House. I mean, uh, there's a place for regulation and so forth, but the routine stuff really ought to be routine and simple. And so there are things that we should be holding hands with entrepreneurs, um, small job creators, and big job creators. Um, the CEO who said, I got no research scientists in New Jersey, treat him as a customer. Have him, have him to dinner and say, what do I have to do to get you to have research scientists in New Jersey? How do we regain um, what we've lost in the pharmaceutical industry? And you know, again, what I said about higher ed, the, the urban centers, you know, to a degree already are, but should continue uh, to be uh, magnets um, for uh, economic development, um, both in our cities and rippling out beyond. And so um, these are all things that are doable if we have um, if we have a well thought out plan with clear priorities and, and not a bunch of pie in the sky assumptions. Um, we've made great progress in our cities to date and um, that really can continue if we do things right. Okay, well I think that- I'm creeping gonna, in here. Yeah, come on in John, um, I think we got it. Thank you. I want to thank the panel and, and for joining us. And I, and I really want to thank all of you um, for making this, I, I think, a great day. And much like this panel, uh, we couldn't solve all the problems in an hour and 10 minutes. Um, it, it certainly is, there's more to discuss and, and uh, stay tuned. We will be writing about these issues. We'll be writing about each one of these discussions. Uh, we hope to keep these conversations going. Uh, it's very important that you know these, these conversations do continue. Um, but I want to thank all of you and as a reward, we have a reception downstairs in Nico's, um, and please join us there. Uh, don't mingle up here. If you're going to mingle, mingle down there. Um, but thank you all for coming, and, and safe travels now that there's no more construction. Thank you for joining us. For more information on NJ Spotlight or to offer comments, please go to njspotlight.com. To learn specifically about this conference, visit njspotlightoncities.com. Production services were provided by professional podcasts, which can be found at beingthemedia.com. For everyone here at NJ Spotlight, this is Lee Keo. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.